Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. We have a big announcement. Yeah. We're doing a new Patreon show after this episode. We're going to start doing after shows because why? Well, we want to give more content on our Patreon. That's true. Get more patrons to come on board. So we're going to give you more content. We're going to give you more content. We're still going to do the Patreon shows that we have been doing all along. So these are are new ones. Those are not going to go away. This is just additional content. Yeah. And we're coming up with other ideas too. So we'll, we'll keep you guys posted. We're just trying to give more content on Patreon. Yeah. So if you would like to become a patron where we have well over a hundred shows already uploaded that you will get access to immediately when you sign up. Yeah. You can do that over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And we did have some new patrons this week. We had Sharla, Stephanie, Jasmine, Emily, Vicky, Russell, Elizabeth, Hillary, Shalomit, Megan, Kristen, Shelby, Louisa Dora, and Kayla. Thanks, guys. Thank you all. Okay, Desi, this is part two of the Cotton Club movie murder. Okay. Last night I texted Desi and I said, look, <laughs> this, is, this is not going to end tomorrow night. <laughs> this is not the conclusion. There is still way too much story to tell. So look out for part three next week, possibly part four. I'm going to try and wrap it up next week. Okay. I promise. Okay. But this is a very juicy story and there's a lot of players in here. Let's hear about it all. Let's hear about all of it. Uh, As I said last week, my main source for this episode is the book Bad Company, Drugs, Hollywood, and the Cotton Club Murder, and that is by Steve Wick. Another source I used for this episode was a great article from Anne Louise Bardock called Blonde Widow, and that is from Buzz Magazine from 1991. Uh, As usual, I I always use a lot of old newspaper articles as well. So let's get started. This is where we left off last week. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one or you won't know who I'm talking about. But where we left off last week is Roy Radin has split from his wife, Tony Filet, and he put his 72-room Hamptons mansion up for sale. He at this time has his sight set on Los Angeles and making it big in Hollywood. Much like how Roy Radin sought to bring back vaudeville, he also desired to bring back musical films. This guy was like truly, I was born in another era sort of vibe. He already had a number of ideas for movies that he wanted to make, including a film based off of his friend Mickey DeVinco's book about his marriage to Judy Garland. Oh, right. I wonder how long this book is because they weren't married for very long. No, they weren't at all. I mean, it was a tumultuous time, but still. Yeah. Uh, So in January of 1983, Roy and his 
personal assistant slash the theater producer named Jonathan Lawson flew to Los Angeles. This is a guy that he took on back in New York and he just became his right-hand man. They moved into the Regency Hotel. Though Roy was committed to making it in the movie business, he was still trying to put together shows with Roy Raiden Enterprises back east. So he was splitting time between coasts. Hey, Bally still needs performers. <laughs> Bally's Atlantic City. I don't know if Bally's had him back after uh, Joey Bishop quit. He burned those bridges. He did. Because Vegas wouldn't. That deal dropped out. Yeah. That was one of the last things we talked about last week. That's right. So he was Atlantic City, baby. That was hit. That was it. That was him. it. There was no Branson, Missouri yet. <laughs> he probably could have made something happen there. Do they have casinos in Branson, Missouri? I don't know, but I know they have uh, performers. Oh. Like old, like people who are not that popular anymore. He should have tried Morongo. Oh, yeah. They or, what's the one in uh, Connecticut? I've been there. It's a big one. Oh. I can't remember that. It's very famous, but the name is slipping my, my tongue right now. It's a huge casino I see, resort. I don't, I don't know any of the East Coast casinos. I only know the West Coast ones. Yeah, this one's like one town in Connecticut. It's a huge resort casino. It was in Uncut Gems. That's where they fly up. Mohegan Sun? Mohegan Sun. Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. They have big performers there, though. So like, they have huge acts there. Well... Look, if all goes according to plan, Desi and I have big plans. <laughs> oh, we're gonna are we gonna play at the Mohegan Sun? No, not okay. that. I well, I was like, wow, Rachel. Not, <laughs> that would be funny if we did like a tour of casinos. Okay, uh, okay. First of all, that is my dream to to do a casino tour. What I am going to say now is not nearly as exciting. I was going to say our big plans were for in August to go see Debbie Gibson. Oh. <laughs> With yeah. featuring special guest Joey McIntyre. I would love to be behind the scenes of that negotiation. Oh my God. Like, how was he featured? <laughs> they also, seem pretty equal to me. Is he just going to do new kids songs? I have no idea. Because yeah. she has a whole repertoire she right. could go through. But and then she did Broadway too. She could do songs from that. Oh, I'd love to see her do like a Sally Bowles or something. Didn't she play like Eponine and Les Mis? Oh, uh, I don't <laughs> Well, oh yeah, she did a few things, I think. I like that she's not going by Deborah anymore. Yeah. She's like, you know what? It's Debbie. Yeah. We don't do that anymore where it's like, here's my adult name. Right. Here's my kid name. No. And people keep it throughout. I agree. Now, Roy was trying to link up with as many people as he knew in Los Angeles as possible who could help him get his new career off the ground. One of the people Roy got in touch with was a friend of a friend named Carol Johnson. Carol was a travel agent who had a lot of important Hollywood clients. So he Ooh. thought he could get like, oh, you must know some people. You this book guy's these- annoying as hell. <laughs> like he's trying to get her cl- her travel clients. Her, client, his, her clientele <laughs> list. Oh my God. Carol's father owned a large five bedroom home in Benedict Canyon. So you know her travel agent job was really just like a side hustle. Yeah. She clearly has family money. And this home was available for rent. And she said, if you want to come by and see the home, it's available yeah. for rent. And of course, like Roy Raiden's not going to turn down the opportunity to go to a big fucking mansion yeah. in Beverly Hills. So the previous tenant, a woman named Lainey Jacobs, was moving out because she had just bought a home in Sherman Oaks. Carol also invo- invited Roy to a big party that she was throwing for her father at that Benedict Canyon home. 
Her father had worked in the movie business for years and was retiring to Florida. Roy eagerly accepted this (gasps) invitation. Movie business. (laughs) (laughs) He was very excited knowing that there would be plenty of Hollywood bigwigs that he could rub elbows with. How old is he at this point? He's 33. Okay. So he's really young, but for some reason, I always think of him as being 60. <laughs> he looks 60. Yeah. He, yeah. He's in 1983-33. Yeah. Which, to be fair, I, I think he looks old for that, too. I think he looks even older, and it could be his style is really, like you said, he's from another era. He wears capes. Yeah. I don't know. He just looks... It's hard to believe he's 33. Like, he dresses like Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Like, he wears capes and hats everywhere he goes. It's just too much. Yeah. At the party, Roy met Lainey Jacobs, and he was instantly obsessed with her. Like, they're all coked out, and he's like, oh my God, you're my new best friend. Can I come to your place in Sherman Oaks? (laughs) Yeah, basically. He called Jonathan, who was back at the Regency, and he said he would be coming back from the party with Lainey Jacobs and the hostess, Carol Johnson. And Roy then told Lawson, she's got incredible coke. Oh. Look, I've been in this situation before on both ends, where you're the annoying person bringing the rando home from a party, or vice versa, where you are just trying to sleep off your three-day bender. And he's coming back with more people. And somebody's coming home with more people. It is not a fun situation to be in if you're Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, But Jonathan was like, okay, I'll play ball. So Roy, Laney, and Carol arrived at the Regency. Jonathan prepared food, and he had chilled champagne for everyone. Laney busted out her cocaine, um, and an hour later, they had done it all. Damn. Look, been there. Yeah. But this wasn't a problem because Lainey had more back at her house in Sherman Oaks. Oh. So in a very coked up move, the four of them piled into Lainey's limo and drove to her house. <laughs> when, you're, when you're really into cocaine, you, you go to a lot of locations sometimes. Sometimes there, are, sometimes there are nights where you stay in one room for... 48 hours straight and you never leave that room. But then there are those other nights where you're in multiple cities in one night. I mean, I feel like I have vague memories of maybe it's not cocaine related, but being like, let's go. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Where it's like already 4am or you're some, or you're like going to do one more spot and it's like the most insane thing ever. Like looking back, <laughs> yeah. like, just give it up. already. <laughs> Stop trying to have fun. <laughs> So there at the house, they were greeted by her nanny, Miriam, and her young son named Dax. <laughs> he was like, what? dude, her son was not even a toddler at this Jesus point. Jesus Christ. Jonathan was not a big partier, fell asleep on the couch pretty much as soon as they got right. there. Uh, so Lainey, I don't know what happened to Carol. I, she might have gone home, but Lainey and Roy, they did coke together all night. What is Lainey's job? Do we know? We're yes, we do know, Desi. Okay. We're gonna- <laughs> so they do coke together throughout the night and into the morning. And when Jonathan awoke that sometime that morning, Laney sent a town car for him because he's like, "I need to get the fuck out of here." I woke up in Sherman Oaks at this lady's house. Dude, I love it. She's like, I'll get you a town car. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the era we're talking about. See, this kind of shit makes me so jealous because, like. All of my drug use was like very unglamorous. 
No one was getting me town cars. I know. I was thinking when I was hearing this, I was like, honestly, Coke seems more appealing if I have a limo driver driving me to every no. location. No, <laughs> like, I, I like everything I did was like extremely budget and sad. Yeah. And like really demoralizing. There were no town cars. Yeah. So look, this is like a best case scenario. Absolutely. Uh, so her and Roy were not done partying yet. By late afternoon, Roy called Jonathan and asked him to pick up him and Lainey. So they all went back to the Regency Hotel. Roy was over the moon for Lainey. The two of them went to dinner that night. Who knows how many days in a row they would have hung out together if Roy didn't have to pack up and go to New York for to like right. finalize some stuff with his mansion, the sale of it. Oh, I see, yeah. I mean, that seems like something you're with someone for two weeks, like straight, right? Again, I've been there. Yeah. I've gotten into entire relationships and broken up with people during benders. Yeah. Without even coming up for air once. No. Until it was over. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan suspected the thing that Roy saw in Lainey most of all was her seemingly endless supply of Coke. I mean, it's a good quality for some. <laughs> like he was like, I don't think you really like her. I think you really like her cocaine. Would Roy have had a difficult time getting cocaine? I mean... No, but hers was really good and she just... It was just everywhere. Okay. Like she just had an endless supply of it. Right. And, and I was like, why spend my money on it? <laughs> yeah, that shit's expensive. Yeah. Lainey Jacobs was born June 1947 in Birmingham, Alabama to Alwyn and Barbara Jacobs. Al was an auto mechanic and Barbara was a housewife. When Lainey's younger brother Buddy was born in 1949, Al began work as a salesman for a coffee company. Al Jacobs changed jobs again two years later and became a salesman at a car dealership. Al was a terrible husband to Barbara. The couple divorced in 1952. He had been beating her throughout the entire marriage. She took the kids with her, but Barbara's husband's reign of terror continued in court over the custody of the children. Lainey's dad was allowed to see the kids once a month at his new home in Miami. Barbara Jacobs' second husband was also terrible and abusive, and Lainey and her brother ended up moving to Georgia to live with their grandparents. Lainey began high school in 1963, where she was a member of several clubs, including the Drama Club, the Pep Club, and the Future Homemakers of America Club. Mm. Lainey's grandparents dated, uh, doted on her and supported her, but when she got her, and she even got a, her own car Ooh. when she got her license, like they bought her a Pontiac. Nice. So they really were like giving her this loving home. They just wanted to raise a really good Christian girl. And though Lainey did attend church, she was like kind of a wild girl in high school. She liked to drink and party and hang out with, you know, the bad girls yeah. and, and have a lot of fun and be cool. And one time she even forged her grandpa's checks. I mean, this is all very Christian. Yeah. <laughs> Pretending but, to be something and then actually like doing all this bad shit behind the scenes. <laughs> I feel like forging your grandpa's checks when you're in high school, that's an advanced move. Oh, totally. Like, but although maybe that's the way it was done back then. Cause I'm sure like in the eighties and nineties, people would steal $20 bill from their mom's purse or whatever. Right. Like, or your forging credit checks, card. Yeah. Forging checks is like very, uh, old school crime. Yeah. <laughs> people don't even use, hardly use checks now. Right. Uh, not really. 
Lainey's first marriage was in 1969 to a man named Emilio Calleja, and they divorced just a few months later. Lainey then married a man named Manuel Enrique Gonzalez in 1971, but they divorced after two years. She then remarried to a man named Leon Goodman. That marriage also short-lived. So She loves to love. (laughs) She's blowing through husbands right now. By 1975, Lainey was living in Miami and working as a secretary for a law firm. She craved a glamorous, fast life, and Miami was just the place to do that. Lainey told Anne Louise Bardock in her article, quote, In the clubs, the coke was laid out at the bars. Everybody was doing it. Lawyers, secretaries, doctors. No one ever talked about it being illegal. (laughs) I like that mentality. Now, I heard from people in my life who were young in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) that people thought cocaine wasn't even addictive back then. I mean, I guess it's one of those things you can picture someone being like, they used to put this in Coca-Cola. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like people use this as a medicine, like, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, technically, but they stopped doing that for a reason. <laughs> After working for a second law firm, Lainey quit that job in the pursuit of a more exciting career that would better finance her desired lifestyle. She wanted to get involved in drug dealing. Oh. One night... Lainey met a guy named Ulysses at a party or at a club called the Mutiny. And she picked his brain about his involvement in drug trafficking. Lainey's ruthless ambition impressed the dealers that she was connecting with. One of her drug dealing contacts, a man named Tony, said of Lainey, quote, she was a small fish in a very large ocean and she wanted to be a big fish. By meeting me, she grew up. I was a means to an end. One of Lainey's first forays running Coke, she made $50,000. She, all she had to do was pick up a suitcase filled with drugs from the Miami airport. Those are crimes that always tempt me when well, I see them in a movie. They're like, just take this suitcase to the store. That's all you have to do. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, like technically I'm not doing anything. I don't know what's in the suitcase. Again, this is like best case scenario. Like in my days with the drug dealers it was nothing like this yeah there was no glamour yeah this is like very envy inducing yeah uh it seems like she kind of like lucked right into something she was right at the top yeah and she was getting high on her own supply which almost never works right but maybe at that level it's a little easier right right Uh, she was making so much money one of the pilots uh, at the Miami airport was running drugs. So Damn. he gave, like, that's where she got the suitcase from. Okay. And then she took it. In- She's like a girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> you love to see a woman succeeding in a man's world. <laughs> Total girl boss. Um, at this time, she was married to a man named Guillermo Suquet, who was a Pan Am flight attendant. They would divorce after a year of marriage. That seems to be her (laughs) limit. (laughs) I think this is husband number four. Lainey was only married to her fifth husband, Alfie Ferreira, for a few months. (laughs) Alfie had been involved in the Coke business and had recently been busted, and he would quit the business soon after. Okay. It wasn't long before Lainey's cocaine trafficking business was continuously returning large amounts of cash. 
cash that she kept in a safe in her 5,800-square-foot Miami home. In true 1980s Coke Lord fashion, her home was stark white, accented with expensive black lacquer decor. Wow. I want to see this house. That is, I looked for it. Oh, you did? I couldn't uh, find it, but that is the height of class, I know Desi. exactly what that looks uh, like. I do, too. The black lacquer furniture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is that great 80s deco revival. Yes, yes. Especially in Miami. In Miami. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, I love it. Lainey's drug runners were all over the country, ferreting her supply that came in from Columbia. One of her runners was a flight attendant who brought Coke into California. So having people who like worked for the airlines was yeah. very helpful. Her Cuban associates called her La Rubia, which was a reference to her having blonde hair, of course. Okay. Lainey ran a tight ship, employing a secretary to answer her calls, and she kept a close eye on who owed her what. Lainey paid no mind to the violence and murder that occurred in her line of work so long as it didn't affect her personally. This is a pretty wild quote from Lainey from this Anne Louise Bardak article. Lainey's close friend, Sylvia Diaz, had found her aunt and uncle in their home, both of them with their heads shot off. Oh. And Lainey says of that incident, quote, she really took it bad. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Lainey told friends and acquaintances who were unaware of her life as a cocaine trafficker a variety of different tales to explain her wealth, such as, I'm a gem importer, or I'm a clothing designer, or that all her money came from her ex-husbands. Look, whenever I hear someone's in import-export business, I'm always suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. Yeah, what are you importing? Yeah, it's always like olive oil or like whatever. (laughs) Coffee. I don't want to talk about it. There's only it. two. It's like drugs and something mob related, like laundering money or something. Totally. Um, please don't at me if you're in the import export business. I know there's legitimate <laughs> ones. Come on. Um, Lainey met Joe Amer at the Coconut Grove nightclub in Ooh. Miami through her friend Sylvia, the same woman who I just mentioned before. Joe was a handsome Honduran man who was a moderately successful dealer. Him and Lainey went back to her place that night to do blow and fuck. Lainey learned that she was pregnant with Joe's baby in October of 1981. Both of them were ecstatic. They married in February the following year when Lainey was five months pregnant. Lainey had also been doing business with a successful Cuban dealer named Milan Belichassis. They would set up a shell corporation in the Antilles Islands to launder money. The name of this company was Jamboni Enterprises. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Lainey and Milan pooled their resources together and purchased her LA contact Jeff's client list as she was looking to relocate her operation out west. Plus... She had her own dreams of getting into the movie business. Oh, people love getting client lists. <laughs> not long after her marriage to Joe, a very pregnant Lainey seemed to not be interested in him anymore, and he fretted over her deepening relationship with Milan Belichessis. Joe Amer began hooking up with Jackie Silva, an attractive blonde woman he had recently met at the wedding of his friend and mentor Joe Rodriguez. 
Lainey, sensing something was amiss, hired a private investigator who caught Joe and Jackie on camera all touchy-feely against the side of a Porsche. (gasps) So that was it. Yeah. Lainey promptly packed Joe's shit and put it on the front door of her house. In May of 1982, Joe Amer was arrested by federal agents. He had been narked out by someone in Arizona who had bought coke from him. That same month, Lainey gave birth to their son, Dax. And that fall, her, Dax, and the nanny, Miriam, moved out to Los Angeles. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Lainey met Anna Montenegro through her lawyer, Frank Diaz. Frank had helped set up Lainey's offshore accounts. 
Anna wasn't a drug dealer, but she did help her drug dealing friends with things like stashing money. Oh. Anna had also dated Milan Belichese's years ago when they were younger. Later, she would date one of Lainey's ex-husbands, Alfie. So, small world. Oh. Anna, on Lainey's relationship with Milan, this is a quote. She said, quote, Oh, they were in love, but they were just playing. The minute he left town, she was out and about with other people. And of course, he was too. Wait, refresh my memory because I've heard so many names. Milan, who is he? Is he? He's like a drug lord. And he's located in? Miami. Miami, okay. And now he's in a relationship, both business and romantic. With Lainey. With Lainey. But he's still in Miami. He's still in Miami, but... They just opened up like an offshore account together. I see. Okay. In the islands to launder their money. Got it. Now Lainey's like, I'm going to expand. Yeah. To, to like relocate out west because I want to get in the movie business, but I also want more clients yes. out there. And that's a great place to sell Coke. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Lainey took on a man named Tally Rogers to be her newest drug runner. <laughs> This is just a stupid name. Tally. <laughs> Tally Rogers. Tally Rogers. He That's w- like the name of the, the flag. <laughs> Wait, what? No, no, I'm thinking of the Jolly Rogers. What is it? Jolly, Jolly Rogers. Rogers. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking about. It like sounds really British for some reason. I don't even know what the fuck a Jolly Roger is. I don't either. I thought it was that flag, but maybe that's the union. No, I don't know. I don't don't need anyone. Wait a minute. (laughs) I'm fully aware. I don't know what I'm talking about. So please don't give me new information. (laughs) My brain hurts. We're just off the cuff here. (laughs) So Tally Rogers would transport up to 10 kilos of cocaine at a time from Miami to Los Angeles. Tally had gotten the job through his friend, Tim Whitehead. Tim was at first hesitant about letting Tally into the drug business because he was a thief and a total party animal and just kind of like an erratic person. Uh, But Tally was skilled with his hands. He had installed a new safe in Lainey's bedroom for her in the Sherman Oaks house. Did I say Sherman Oaks like mayor? Oaks, yeah. Did I say? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Sherman Oaks. (laughs) So... He was also strong enough that he could be used as muscle Ooh. if they needed him to be. So they're like, all right, we'll, we'll take a chance on Jack Tally. Jack of all trades. <laughs> Whitehead said, quote, he was a top-notch golden gloves boxer and was an ace with his hands. And in this particular business, you may need someone who can knock someone's head, head off. With the money continuing to pour in, Lainey could focus her efforts on her movie-making dreams. While Roy Radin had been primarily interested in Lainey's enormous supply of cocaine, she was interested in his showbiz experience. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> After everything with the sale of Ocean Castle was finally wrapped up, Roy Radin and Jonathan Lawson returned to Los Angeles at the end of February 1983. Roy and Jonathan were splitting their time between L.A. and New York, living at the Regency Hotel in Los Angeles and living at the Mayflower Hotel in New York. Lainey called the men and said that she had coke for them. Like, as soon as their plane landed, she got in touch with them. So Jonathan met up with Lainey in a motel parking lot (laughs) and handed her $2,500 in cash. He was very skeptical and wary 
at this point of how she had so much cocaine. Right. So they don't know at this point that she's this major drug dealer. No. Yeah. He's like, "Mm, should I even be getting involved with this person? Yeah. What's going on here? Roy didn't really give a fuck. Yeah. He said, look, she's a classy broad. Yeah. Like she has a nice house. She's got a nice haircut. She's got a kid. (laughs) She's got a child. What could go wrong in this situation? Lainey repeated a line that she said to anyone who didn't need to know that she was a we- that she was wealthy because she was a clothing designer. Oh, Lainey told Jonathan, "I helped set up Susie Cheesecake. Wait, Susie <laughs> Cream Cheese, <laughs> Susie Cheesecake." <laughs> <laughs> Cheesecake, something else. I have no idea. Is but it I like love a that name. Susie's Cheesecakes? Wasn't isn't there that place in uh, Bel Air? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what Susie's, but it's like a dessert place. Yes, I don't Susie's know what it's Bakery. Something Susie's. Okay, Lainey said, "I helped set up Susie Cream Cheese," and Jonathan said, "Who's that?" And she said, "She has boutiques in Las Vegas and Houston." Oh, I've never heard of Susie Cream Cheese. <laughs> that's equally funny. Name. <laughs> Susie Cream Cheese. She really did have boutiques in Vegas. Oh, you looked it up? Yeah. I mean, you know exactly what they sold. Well, I I was like, oh, I know Susie Cream Cheese. She's not around anymore. Uh, But what's her name's character in Casino wore wore Susie Cream Cheese? Oh, Sharon Sharon Stone. Stone. So it's like, you know, this is like a bygone era. Yeah. Of fashion that you can probably only get it vintage stores, like high-end right. vintage stores probably. Um, I don't know. But that's what she said. She said, I worked, uh, I like help make Susie cream cheese. Yeah. She supplied her with Coke probably. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, please don't ask me any more questions. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay. Jonathan would grow more suspicious when Tally Rogers started hanging out with all of them. He's like, Okay. Who's this guy? Tally. <laughs> Why is he always going back and forth from Miami to LA? Yeah. Jonathan's so close to getting it. John- <laughs> <laughs> One night in March, while they were all partying at the Regency, Lainey confessed to Roy that she wanted to get into the movie business. She specifically wanted to finance and produce films. She told him that she had met Robert Evans, who at that time was the head of Paramount. Lainey had been introduced to Evans through her chauffeur, a man named Gary Keyes, who was once a dancer on Soul Train. This is how everything in L.A. works. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's crazy. Can you imagine how happy Roy was to hear this news? Dude, he almost like shit himself. Like the fact that anyone would take him seriously, like only only someone like her would, who has like no real experience in entertainment. Yeah. But she's like, I have money and I want to do it. So she finds this loser guy who's willing to do it and and, and he's thrilled, right? Oh, totally. I yeah. mean, everyone in this situation, Roy, Robert Evans, Lainey. They're all, they all think they're using each other for something. Right. And the one thing they all have in common, cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So Gary Keyes had driven Robert Evans around and told her that, told Lainey that he was looking for money to finance his next movie. 
Okay. So Lainey's like, well, I have money. And what is Robert Evans' career trajectory right now? Because he goes up and down a lot. It's not good right now. But is he is he the head of Paramount? At I don't this even point? know if he, he might not be. I don't know if he's at this point. But he look at one time, Robert Evans. No, he's a huge producer, but he has some real low points. That's why I was just trying to. I mean, he must be at a low if he's like Laney finance my next picture. I'm going to talk about all of this. Okay, good. Now that being said. We're going to have to do a completely separate episode on Robert Evans. Absolutely. Because I almost like fucking burst a blood vessel last night yeah. attempting to just write about Robert Evans. I read his book okay. a while ago. Okay. I mean, we should definitely do it because it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Roy was thrilled at the idea of being involved with someone like Robert Evans. Absolutely. He told Lainey, I can help with funding. Evans, of course, like we said, he was a very famous Hollywood producer. He was very flamboyant. He had produced The Godfather as well as Chinatown, among many other beloved films. He also loved Coke. And yeah, again, I wrote down, we're going to have to do a separate episode (laughs) about it. (laughs) Roy was looking forward to presenting Evans with his idea for a film about the Cotton Club. Now, Roy, that's Roy's idea. Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. He wanted it to be a, a musical, though. Okay. Yeah. Like not like a straight right, drama. Right. He wanted this to be a musical. Robert Evans told Laney and Roy that he wanted to make three movies back to back, and he loved Roy's pitch for a film about the Cotton Club, as he had wanted to make a movie about it himself. Evans wanted to come back swinging. Yeah. He had taken some time off after his arrest and conviction for cocaine possession in 1981. <laughs> so he wanted to come back swinging. <laughs> Sorry. He did. I he, believe it. He's like, I need a big comeback movie. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I love a comeback. Everyone loves a comeback, especially Hollywood. Yes. So... <sighs> Little did he know what was to come. This wasn't his comeback, but... (laughs) (laughs) He just needed the money to finance these new projects. He was not getting any money. Right. Roy and Lainey were happy to fork over the cash. Lainey agreed to put up $5 million. Roy contacted his friend, Jose Alegria, who was a banker in Puerto Rico. And Roy was like, I need $50 million. Damn. Because I need to make a movie. Yeah. And... Roy told Jose that him and his partner would be given a broker's fee as well as shares in his hypothetical production company right. if they gave him this money. Eventually, Jose would agree to putting up $35 million, Damn. which is still a ton of money. That's a lot. They really had faith in Roy Raiden. Both Jonathan Lawson and agents at ICM warned Roy Raiden about getting involved with Robert Evans. <gasps> they thought of him as a washed-up, star or washed up producer as well as a liability with his previous conviction. But Roy ignored them. He was determined to make this work and he believed in Evans. Not only that, but Roy also believed that Evans' status as a washed up movie producer meant that he would have leverage over him and sort of be able to be the upper, have the upper hand and kind of boss him around. Yeah. Like I said, everyone in this triangle is like trying to get, there's another motive. Yes. Or they all think someone's the weakest link. Absolutely. They, everyone else thinks, like, I'm the smartest one in this situation. And those situations always get real fucked up. <laughs> Not long after the power lunch meeting with Evans, Roy, and Lainey, 
Roy was back in New York doing some business stuff for Roy Raiden Enterprises. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. He got a phone call from Lainey, and she was freaking out, demanding to know where the hell Tally Rogers went. (laughs) The phone call no one wants to get. (laughs) I mean, since he had been partying with Roy at the Regency, she thought he must know something. Okay. He's I've he's he had also like recently like rented a room at the Regency, so he's like he's been hanging out with you a bunch. Where the fuck is he? Right. Lainey told Roy that he had stolen a million dollars worth of coke from her house and was now just completely gone. Tally had stolen. Yes. Yeah. Roy was like, "Lady, I don't know shit." Yeah. Roy got off the phone with Lainey too excited over his potential deal with Robert Evans to pay attention to all this drama. Right. He's like, this is all noise. Yeah. I got a movie to make. Evans had told Roy that if things went well with the Cotton Club movie, they could start their own production company together. Jonathan Lawson, however, was pretty shaken up by this phone call. He's like, this sounds bad. Yeah. He said he had recently bought $15,000 worth of Coke from Tally, but he had paid for them with checks written out to Lainey Jacobs. Oh. So he's like, oh, he must have ran off with yeah. those checks. Tally had recently argued with Lainey over his payment for two different transporting trips from Miami to LA. Tally waited until Lainey had gone to Vegas before he robbed her. He stole $270,000 worth of cash from her safe and 10 kilos worth of Coke. Damn. So he was also the only person that knew how to open the safe right. and knew where the cocaine was. So she's like, he fucking, obviously he did this. Lainey had taken Tally's wife, Betty, on this trip to Vegas. Tally had phoned his wife when they were there, and he said, you need to get on a plane right now and leave Vegas. If you don't get out of there, you're going to be killed. So he warned the wife, like, Damn. I mean, he didn't say I did something, but he was like, just trust me, you need to get out of there. Okay. Because she's going to find out eventually. He instructed her to go back home to Tennessee and take their daughter out of school, and when she did, to hide out until he contacted her again. By the time Lainey discovered that she had been robbed, Tally was already halfway across the country traveling by car. Lainey got in touch with the owner of the luxury rental car service that she used. This was a guy named Mark Fogel, who had also been one of her drug runners. So he's the rental car dealership owner or That's where she company. gets the town cars. <laughs> this is where she gets the town cars, but he's not just a rental car owner. Yeah. He's also a drug runner. They all have a side hustle. You got to have that in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. You got to have more than one job here. Mark, who had been busted a couple years prior making a drug deal with an informant, three kilos of Lainey's Coke were seized by the cops. Oh, shit. What Lainey didn't know was now Mark was working for the cops as an informant. Yeah. But he was not happy about this because he was very afraid of Lainey and her people. Yeah. Like, these are, this is serious drug lords they're dealing with. He doesn't want to cross them. Mark introduced Lainey to a guy named Bill Menser. The, he was the manager of the car lot, but he also worked as a bodyguard for Larry Flint. I'm sorry. 
Larry Flint. We did a two-parter episode on Larry Flint. Yeah. That was a that was a fun one. Yeah. Bill employed his other bodyguard friends to assist him, including a man named Alex Marty. Now, Alex was a white supremacist who had a portrait of Hitler hanging up at his house. Oh. Real piece of shit, right? Lainey was also introduced to a PI named Michael Pascal who might help her track down Tally. So Lainey's getting the muscle together and she's getting the private investigator and they're going to find this little weasel who stole her shit. Alex Marty, the Nazi, was tasked with watching over Lainey's home. At some point during this, she began dating the other guy, Bill Menser. Okay. So I don't... (laughs) Look, this is a quote from her friend Anna from that Louise Bardock oh, right. article, she said, quote, if Lainey is spending any time with somebody, she is probably sleeping with him. Is Lainey hot or cute? Yeah, yeah. she is. Lainey is always in control, no matter how much partying and drugs she's done. Lainey was never heartbroken. When Lainey wants something, she goes after it. I have seen her go to Palm Springs with Saul, who's another friend of theirs, pick up another guy at a bar, bring him home, and make love to him in my bed, a big bed with me sleeping there. <laughs> the, o- <laughs> the only person I think she really, really loved in her life was Dax, her son. Yeah. The PI was able to track down phone numbers that Tally had called, and eventually Lainey got in touch with his wife, Betty. She told Betty that her husband needed to return the stuff he took because, quote, they were holding her baby and they were going to kill him, kill them. Obviously, that wasn't true. She was just trying to prey on her sympathies to expose where her husband was. Then a man, presumably one of the thugs that Lainey had hired, got on the phone call and threatened to cut off Betty's head with an axe. So Betty hung up the phone. Yeah. While Roy Radin and Robert Evans were planning the production of the Cotton Club movie, Lainey was kept in the dark. Roy did not consider Lainey to be anything more than a rich lady with Coke money. Yeah. He did not take her seriously as a creative human being. Well, also, she's only putting up $5 million, right, for the right. movie stuff? So I that's mean, not even that a huge pr- of a amount. Yeah, and he's sort of taking advantage of Lainey's naivete about show business yeah. to keep her shut out of any future deals they make or creative decisions. Right. I mean, you know Roy was like using her to meet Robert Evans, and then once Robert Evans, it was like, Robert Evans! like, And he just completely ditches Lainey, and it helped that she was busy with this other thing, probably. Absolutely. Roy decided, okay, I'm going to pay Lainey a finder's fee for for introducing me to Robert Evans, and that'll be that. Yeah. In April, Roy and Jonathan were back in L.A., and Lainey was still up his ass about the whereabouts of Tally Rogers. She even accused Roy of putting Tally up to the robbery. (gasps) She was fucking furious at Roy Radin at this point. Yeah. Not only that, but she was about to find out that she was being cut out of all these business decisions with their movie. Oh, boy. So Lainey's getting mad. Yeah. She's getting screwed over and she doesn't like that. No, because Lainey's on top. Yeah. She's dumb. She's like... Yeah, she will... F- she, she will... She's ruthless. Right. She doesn't care who you are. If you fuck with her, she will fuck with you. 
I mean, I'm scared of her. I would not fuck with her. I would never fuck with Lainey. No way. Are you kidding me? How stupid do you have to be? And honestly, I'm on her side right now. Because these <laughs> men <laughs> these men need to get to learn a lesson. <laughs> They're all maybe Robert Evans is kinda innocent right now. But Look, it's like Robert Tally, Evans is, Robert's trying to get his fucking career off the ground. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on in Lainey's life. But Roy knows he's an asshole. He's fucking Lainey over. Yeah. And Tally, Tally Rogers. Tally, I don't know what his deal is. How dare you steal a million dollars worth of product from Laney? You can't steal from someone that much money and not expect them to get mad. <laughs> like, there's just no way. So she's, in my mind, she's in the right right now. She should be furious. I would be mad at both these these jackasses. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, she probably, in her mind, she's like, I give them everything. They, I drive them around in a limo or a town car if, <laughs> if it's not available. I give them unlimited, very good cocaine. Yeah. You know, I use it myself. And then they just fucking do this to her. It's very ungrateful. It's stupid. Yeah. If anything, they're stupid for not just, she probably, all she probably needs is a little thanks. You know what? <laughs> a little appreciation. She probably just wants a credit. Yeah. She just wants a movie credit. Or to like take her idea seriously. Even if you're just fucking pretending for an afternoon, l- listen to her ideas. Like, yeah. how hard is that? It's not hard. Well, look, this is advice that could have been given th- over 30 years ago, Desi. Things are about <laughs> to take a very dark turn next week. Yeah. This is where we're going to leave off. Things are boiling over. Things that that's I wanted to leave on a little just about to boil over cliffhanger here. What's yeah. going to happen? Uh lots of stuff. Yeah. So, cool. that's part 2. Get ready for part 3 next week. Thank you all for bearing with me on this uh roller coaster. It's good though. You like the story? Absolutely. Okay. I love 80s Hollywood. It's the best. Same. Yeah. It's always like so much happening. Yeah. And there's always vaguely familiar names. <laughs> like people are real down on their luck in the 80s. A lot of people who were really riding high in the 70s. Like, right. <laughs> so it's like it really has it all. Like it's just so. It's, it's a wild story. Yeah. So we will be back with part three next week. And we're going to record our after show on for Patreon. Yeah. All right. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.